This Q's conversation addresses difficult and important topics like suicide and mental health. We hope you'll listen and share it with anyone who would benefit from hearing it. Hi, I'm Chris Velarde. My guest is 2001 Syracuse University grad, Rob McClanahan. I think the main thing that I learned was it's, it's someone it's okay to feel like that. We're gonna have our days or whatever it is, but you have to learn how to, how to handle it, you know, on your own mentally and, and also be able to talk to people about it. For more than a decade, Rob has been a trainer to the NBA elite. He's worked with superstars like Steph Curry, Derek Rose, Kevin Durant, Kevin Love, and Carmelo Anthony, to name just a few. You're gonna hear a little about them. In college, he was a three-year walk-on for Jim Beheim and the men's basketball team. And you'll hear some great stories about that. But the most powerful thing you'll hear from Rob is the story of his battle with mental health and anxiety. It's a story he shared publicly for the first time three days before Christmas on the Players Tribune website. It's a story that starts with these chilling words. My name is Rob McClanahan, and not too long ago, I almost took my own life. Yeah. What a way to start a piece. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that was, uh, we discussed how to start it and we wanted to get, you know, the readers, you know, attention right away um, and not kind of lead up to it. And obviously that, that will do it, right? Um, you know, so, but I also people, wanted people to realize this was a, that kind of article and it's just a serious article. And, you know, that's kind of the tone of the article um that this is a serious matter you know not just right with me but more about just in general in, in the world right now you know so um you know having having that as the first line was you know weird to me a little bit in the beginning but then i realized this is, this is probably the best way to go right and and you know it ended up being read by a lot of people so Without a doubt. I mean, the response was, um, I'm sure to you, overwhelming just as a as an outsider watching the response um, and seeing people commenting on it and sharing. Obviously, it was powerful. Obviously, it had and continues to have an impact. And that's really what's so important. Another line that you wrote is you realize you weren't an outlier. You're not alone in what you were experiencing. People need to understand that it's this is this is all right. You know, it's this is what people go through, especially now in this world of you know COVID and isolation, and some people have financial problems, what have marriage problems. Um, and the past year has been has been hard for everybody. Um, so I, this kind of, you know, the, the the whole article was to make sure that people know that it's okay to talk about number one, um, you're not alone, number two. And I think that you, the more and I prove, the more you hold it in, the worse it's going to get, right? Um, and the responses that I got from this article were, and I'm still getting back to people. I, I can't do it all at once. And I try to do, you know, a few DMs a day or emails a day. And I do my best to respond to everybody. Some are more serious than others. But um, the people that reach out to me, people that I've never met in my life and never will be in my life to people really, you know, some some friends and family that are going through stuff that I never knew about, you know? So it definitely hit home with a lot of people, um, you know, and there's no doubt in my mind, I hope that this article led people to, like I said, be able to talk about it with anybody and then, you know, get the help that they need because it just, you know, kind of gets worse from there. And I think this is hit home with a lot of people, a lot of people. Without a doubt. And you mentioned COVID and the, the challenge of the last how many, 22 months, however long it's been, it, it just feels like it's Groundhog Day. It's it's you know it's March five hundred and sixtieth of twenty of two thousand still. Yeah, yeah. This for you. This happened before COVID, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So how are you doing now? Given the challenges of how difficult life has been for everyone over the last year. Yeah, luckily for me, um, you know, I realized that I need to to realize how to deal with this and understand how to deal with it. And so fortunately, you know, I, I, I dealt with that one way, but then I realized how to do it, you know, the, the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the main thing that I learned was it's, it's someone it's okay to feel like that. We're going to have our days or whatever it is, but you have to learn how to, how to handle, it, you know, on your own mentally, you know, and also be able to talk to people about it. You know, it's one thing to be able to handle it, to be able to keep it to yourself for the longer is a whole different, you know, scenario with it and facade you got to put on, as I talked about. Um, you know, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing much better. Um, again, I learned how to deal with it. And, you know, I thought I was kind of the only, you know, you'd think it was the only one, right? And it's obviously not true. Um, you know, it's funny because a lot of, of all the people that reached out to majority percentage was was men um you know which which makes sense you know i think especially if you're an alpha male or whatever it is you know you're the last one the one wants to come out and be vulnerable right um you know but it's it's pretty odd that a lot of these people that are very successful have great families have kids are the people that are going through it you know quite frankly and if you look at you know my close friend kevin love what he went through you would never imagine you think he lives like this perfect life right and but he came out in the DeMar Rosen. Michael Phelps said he was suicidal. Was the best Olympian we will ever see in our lifetime. You know, so you think they have it all, but really they're just like us. You know, they're just like the, the normal person. And luckily I had the platform to tell this story where people, a lot of people, you know, could could see it, reach out to it. So um it's definitely a bit overwhelming. That that idea of feeling like you have to keep up the facade of your your choice of words, and, and I think it's a good one. It's it's an image. It's it's a person who, on the outside, seems to have what a life, right? And, and so, you know, for folks who don't know, you know, Rob is hanging out with NBA stars. Rob is training like you know the biggest and the best of the NBA. He's living the lifestyle. He's traveling the world, and, and that puts pressure on you to feel like, man, I can't let anyone know there's a crack here, let right. alone you know a crack a, a, as big as you were carrying around. Yeah, definitely. I mean, here I am flying from Seoul, Korea to Rhode Island on an Under Armour plane with Steph Curry and coming home to my friends who have normal jobs. They're lawyers, they're teachers, they're cops. And, you know, and they seem like they're living a happy life, good life. And here I am flying privates from, from all over the country, over the world, and with the best players in the world. And I couldn't tell anybody that I was feeling this. You know, they, they probably laugh at me. How can make any sense how you have the perfect life you have three beautiful kids healthy kids you have this you have a house you have whatever it is so it's crazy because the better my life got career-wise whatever it was almost like i got worse mentally and it was it was it was more because i had to put on that facade that it became draining and draining and draining and it is kevin love has talked about this a lot how tiring it can be very, very tiring. And then when you're that tired and drained, it kind of takes your mind away from others, you know, whether it's maybe your kids or maybe your job or whatever it is, you're not getting proper sleep, you know, it affects the long-term effects of that. It is, is, is hard. It's critical. So that's why I think people need to, to really understand how to deal with 
And did you know, could you feel it that it was going in this direction? What, what are the warning signs? What would you tell somebody who says, I don't know, whatever I can, I can handle whatever it is. Yeah. I think um, a lot of warning signs for me, at least were I just wanted to be isolated. I don't want to be with anybody. I wanted to just turn the TV or turn the TV off really and shut the blinds and be by myself. I, I kept doing a lot of stuff on my own. Um, my sleep was horrible. Um, be, you know, it became um, almost, I want to say complacent, but I wasn't, I wasn't being me, especially the, uh, those last few months before um, the New Orleans thing. So, I mean, there's a lot of warning signs. I think, you know, my, my, I started getting very uh, irritated very easily, you know, so just because I had so much built up inside, you know. And I think the less I, I didn't talk to anybody about it, but I mean, if I did talk to people about it, I felt like, it would have definitely helped early on, mm-hmm. but I know that now. But I think the, the the warning signs for people are really, yeah, if you're isolating yourself, if, if you're irritated a lot, if you're not getting good sleep, if you, if you're, you know, not doing um, your capable uh, capabilities at work, um, you know, if if you're kind of resisting your friends, and um, those are the the points where you're like, what's wrong with me, you know, and uh, you start questioning yourself a little bit, you know, and then and then if you're depressing it, the the buildup is horrible, you know. You know, you you talk about Kevin Love, and he really was one of the first big name stars to yeah. really become public about this. How how much of an impact do you think that can have, particularly on, you know, maybe kids who who idolize an athlete um, and, and and you know want to be that someday? Yeah, no doubt. And I, I think there's been a domino effect since Kevin um, with, with celebrities coming out like that. Um, you know, having their issues, whether it's not just athletes, we saw a lot of actors, and I think you know Ben Affleck said he was depressed for a long time, and guys like that. So, I think those guys at that level that come out like that only is going to help the the normal guy come out, right? You know, you know, so if Kevin Love can win a gold medal in the world championship and make you know three hundred million dollars playing, and he can have these feelings, then it's all right that anybody else. Can. Right. So I think Kevin doing it was, man, it was good. That was elite because no one had done it. And I know, I mean, even with me, the, the irony of this, like, I, I was getting anxiety releasing this. <laughs> so that was the irony of Kevin just, just hit send, dude, just hit send. Like, all right. And, you know, <laughs> 9 or 2 a.m., I, I had to shut my phone off. Um, you know, so it was, it was pretty insane because no one, like, no one knew. No one in my family knew. No, you know. Kevin obviously knew, um, the mother of my children knew, um, but in essence, I only told people I really had to tell. I told Kevin because he was the one I just wanted to go to for help. So, so when this came out, it was kind of, whoa, you know, talking about immediate family, my best friends, no one knew. So um, it was pretty. Was that a big weight though? I mean, do, do you feel lighter having gotten that, that out there yeah, now? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And not only that, I mean, it's, like I said, it's it's crazy. You know, I went to a Providence College game uh, all the weekend. We played uh, St. John's, and you know, it's Rhode Island, so you kind of know every. I know everybody, yada yada. Yeah. But uh, you know, halftime. It's, it's a small state. It's a small state. An hour border, really. <laughs> so you know, I go in the little lounge in the back, the seat ticket holders, and you know, I'm seeing all these people. And this is the first time we kind of at a game since the article came out, right? Um, so that was crazy. People were coming up to me and giving me a hug. And some people were like, you have no idea how much that helped me. Or other people just wanted to be like, 
but I never knew, you know, so, you know, and I wasn't even, you know, week prior to that or two weeks prior, whatever it was when it came out, I would have never even discussed it with anybody. And now here I am having conversations with people in public about it. And some are just proud that I did it and I'm going to help you. All the people were like, yeah, you helped me. Like I've been going, you know, so it, it was, it was pretty crazy that, you know, two weeks after this came out, I'm just talking about it freely at a basketball game. And two weeks prior to that, right before Christmas, I wouldn't tell a soul in the world, you know? So it does, it does not only, not only for me, it is, is a weight of my shoulders, I guess, but really, you know, it's more of the weight of, I think, helping other people get off their shoulders, you know, people coming to me and, you know, in person or whether it's, you know, an email or direct message or just strangers, you know? So, uh, yeah, it was, it, it really is crazy how many seriously all the men that came up to me at the game were like, you know, I've been, I've, we've all been through it. Oh, you too? You know, like, you know, well, I have a story I should tell you about me when I was, four. you know, like, it's like, you know, and, you know, it, I think now, you know, for that to have my weight is, is fine, but I, I, it's actually more, um, it's a crazy moment for me when people actually come up to me saying, you know, thanks for the help kind of thing, you know. Well, you hear the word stigma attached so much. And, and I think, you know, between the sports um, stars and the celebrities, the actors, the actresses, whomever else, talking more. But even in the last 22 months, if there's a silver lining to the, the difficulties and the challenges of lockdowns and COVID and working from home and, and social interruptions and that kind of thing, it is that we're talking more about the impact that all of this has on everyone's health, right? So, you know, whatever it is that's allowing people to feel like, huh, maybe I shouldn't worry about stigma so much. And, and this is something that I, I'm not alone in and can right. have a conversation. The fact that they can have a conversation with somebody who, you know, they put on a, for whatever reason, that, that's a star, makes it even, I think, yeah. more freeing. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think people, um, a lot of people look at me like, you know, he's a guy that trains, you know, these guys, Seth Curry and Kevin Durant. That's the game. They don't know me. That's the guy or whatever. And, and these other people that really know me know that I, you know, I'm just this alpha male dog and, and, you know, and that's just who I am, whether it's, you know, on the court or training guys or just in business or whatever. It's just who I, I've always, always been like that. So I think when people, you know, found this out, they were more shocked than anybody because they just couldn't believe, you know, Rob with the shot, Rob, the, the alpha guy, Rob, the guy will tell you the way it is, and whatever, you know, this, this guy, really, this guy pulled himself out there like that? He showed that vulnerability? So, yeah, I mean, even some of my, you know, Steph Curry, he'll hit me up about it. He, he just, I was just with him three days before when he booked a record in New York, and we were hanging out. Three straight days, we had dinner in Boston the next day. They played the Celtics. And then two days later, the uncle comes out. I spent four days with you, you know? Kind of like, <laughs> not like, why didn't you tell me? But it's like, I never never knew, you know? But that was a great example of just, no one. Not, I mean, I'm sitting there, go to games with him, dinner with him, living the, living the life, and sitting right there with him on planes, and he had no idea. You know, the, so. The facade was a good one. I mean, the facade you it, were doing. It was a good one. Yeah, so I think, like I said, you know, having that platform to do that, and I know, you know, 
when this came out, I knew it was going to hit a lot of people, not be, just because of my platform, but, you know, Kevin Love retweeted it and things like that, and Andrew Wojnarowski, and, you know, it got to millions of people. So, um, and, and Players Tribune, you know, it's for, it's for athletes, right? And I'm pretty sure I'm one, if not the only one, that did something on there that's, they said not an athlete. I'm like, oh, I played Syracuse a little bit, you know, <laughs> not a pro athlete, you know. So it was they didn't blink at the idea because it's like you're still in that world. Oh, like yeah. This is, this could be even more influential because you're not the pro athlete. You know, you you are like everybody else. You know, you're not making the twenty million a year, but you're also in the surf at the same time, looking like you have the life. So. Um, it, it was a great platform to do it and uh you know definitely hit home with a lot of people well there's no doubt and that that power the power of the word and and your word first person not yeah. just kind of you know taking your words and trying to share your story you shared your story in your words and i think that, yeah. that that's a super powerful thing let's let's figure out how you got to be where you are trainer yeah. nba stars let's go Let's go back to Syracuse. Obviously, this is a, a you know a podcast that that we're talking to, to Syracuse alumni for Syracuse alumni. So there's some interest in there. What? Wh- how did your Syracuse journey begin? Yeah, so it's a, it's a crazy one. Um, you know, I grew up in Providence, so I I, I had front row season tickets still do um, with my father, and so I grew up in the '80s, '90s when the Big East was the Big East, right? Yep. And Syracuse was. You know, I love Providence. I also love Syracuse. I like that orange. I love Bayhine. They won every year. Um, you know, so I wanted to be a college coach. And I decided instead of going D2, low D1 route, let's go to Syracuse, try to walk on. At the same time, well, I wanted to do broadcasting and stuff. Um, obviously not doing that, but so I was like, Syracuse sounds like it's perfect. I walk on, be no big deal. So my dad, you know, I know some walk-ons, you know, at all schools because they donate money or it's a favor. I didn't have any of that. So I didn't know coach and my dad wasn't giving a dollar. So I just had to do it the hard way. So I remember going to, to the coaching staff right when I got on campus around Labor Day. I said, you guys take walk-ons. Like, well, we might not this year, but we have tryouts. But I knew that trials, but they had to do it. Just a rule that you had to have trials. Um, so I worked out with the team for two months prior to – and I remember Beheim and, and Hopkins and assistant coaches were like, just because you're working on a team every morning doesn't mean you're going to make a team all that, right? I'm like, yeah, that's all right. Back in my head, I'm thinking, they see me, I'm going to work, then I'll get on the team. So, and then I worked on the team with the tryouts. Didn't take anybody. Okay. So I basically asked them what, what I have to do. They're like, well, you have to grow a couple inches if you get, gain 30 pounds. I'm like, okay. So that's summer. I didn't party. I didn't drink. I broke out my girlfriend. I just worked out, came back, put on 28 pounds of muscle. I actually did grow like two inches. Wow. And then same thing. I worked out with the team. And I'll never forget it. We had tryouts and I played really well. And uh, like I really well. And I'll never forget. Bam came over, basically said, we're not taking anybody again this year. I'm like, you got to be kidding. <laughs> so I'm like walking away all pissed off. Not even, well, the year before I was like sad. Now I'm pissed off. Right. And uh, they said to me, they grabbed me. They, Mike Hopkins grabbed me. And he said, uh, Listen, he didn't want to like do this for anybody else, but you're on the team. I was like, oh, all right. And the, the, and the backstory, the funny story about that story is they asked me what number I want. 
we had practice like that day, first practice. And let's forget it, we had practice in two hours. What number do you want? And I'm like, Reggie Miller's my favorite player. So I said, I want 31. No problem. So first 10 games, I went 31. <laughs> and we're about to play, I think it was like Villanova or something. And I go in the locker room, the carry dome, and in my locker is number 15 with no name on it. So I said, Dave Schoenfeld was an equipment guy. I said, Dave, where's my 31? He goes, 31. Where's your 31? Come out here with me. Come out to the dome. Walk out the dome. He points up. It's Pro Washington's retired number. I, I, I think wore that. As, I wore that. As you're telling this story, I think a lot of Syracuse fans are like, I think I know where this is going. <laughs> yeah. And, and I wore that for like 12 games. Wow. In practice and everything. No one said anything. And uh, so whatever. And then I was the only walk on that traveled every, every game. My last, my first three years there, my senior actually played in a couple of first halves of tie games. So, you know, I never forget Bay Hammond saying, get in the game. See the whole game, like, first half. I didn't move. He said, get in the game. Like, me? He said, get yeah, you. Couldn't believe it. But, you know, we became, I became very close to all the coaches. And, you know, it was full circle for me because Troy Reed was an assistant coach in my senior year. And then he became assistant coach of the Thunder. You know, years later, here I am training at Westbrook. So we're talking about full circle, right? And then I'm training the Olympic team with half the guys on the team at one point. And there's Bayheim at every practice when I'm working the guys out, you know? So Hopkins was there doing his stuff. So it was, it was really cool how that worked out. Um, and did you stick with 15 after 31? Um, I, I stuck with 15 for the rest of that year. And I would say I gave it to Mello. But, uh, <laughs> My, my next number after that was 24, who, who before me, McNabb had it. So I <laughs> Earl Mello McNabb's number. It's not bad. That's not uh, bad. <laughs> yeah, but and then after that, Coach Bayham made a call to Seth Greenberg for me, and I got a assistant job at uh, South Florida and um, did that for a year. Came back home, started working guys out um, just locally in Rhode Island. Became a teacher, a phys ed teacher, dodgeball, starting all over again, basically living with my mother. And um, I got the long story, but I got into Sunny Vaccaro's ABCD camp, which is a huge, huge camp. Um, and you can't really get in there unless you know people. Luckily, I relentlessly, relentlessly called Sonny and faxed him every day. And he said, all right, you're in. I don't know who you are, but you're in. I got And, you know, Kevin Love and D. Rose were there. That's where I met them. Worked at IMG for a year. And then in 2008 draft, I prepared nine of the top 15 picks. Wow. And then he rose was the first pick in that draft. Russell, Caleb, Lopez, Swint, Dalinari. Um, he rose got drafted by Chicago and then he moved to Chicago for three years. And then I started training the KD in 2010. And then Steph hired me in 2012 or 13. And then John Wall hired me because of Derek and Russell's success. You know, it was just kind of all happened. Well, and here, yeah. Word of mouth. Right training you know Al Horford John Wall Russ you know so yeah it was you know I worked for the top agent in the world at the time on Tellum um and Bob Myers I was now the president of the Warriors um PJ Armstrong also hired me but you know, a lot of these contacts were through Syracuse you know Troy Weaver had a lot to do with on Tellum hiring me because he was close to BJ Armstrong um you know so just just having those connections going back to you know, walking on. I don't care if I play no minutes. I mean, it was it was worth it. 
there. It, right. And you know, so close to everything, you know. The, the amount of, of there, there's a lot there's a lot here. I mean, obviously hard work, right? Like resiliency and and just you know, putting in all the effort, like you said, that summer between freshman and sophomore year to to say like, all right, I'm committed. This is what I want to do and put in the time, put in the effort, not give up, keep working hard at that. And then, you know, to to, to get into a position where you you have success, but you also build these relationships because that's kind of how one thing leads to the next, right? That, that relationships that you build and you know, and not burning bridges along the way. I mean, that's huge. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. I mean, Syracuse just has an unbelievable network in itself, you know, and especially in the sports industry, in the media, obviously. Yeah, I've been on Adam Shine's show recently, and, you know, and I know, you know, all those guys, Sean McDonough, Tarika, you know, so it's kind of cool to be around. You know, even Dave Pass, Dave Pass was doing our radio. And I was a right. I was a sophomore, and I was, you know, on TV every time I put on ESPN, you know, and you know, it was it was great to see the reaction when this article came out. Of the we have a big group text, me and the 2000 team, yeah, 16, and and you know, they were one of the first guys to to, to reach out. I mean, every 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 player said something. It was kind of cool, um, you know. And then people in the, from Syracuse, coaches and and Hop, and uh, you know, Alan Griffin hit me up. And, Dave Pash hit me up, Adam Shine, you know, so it was kind of cool. This, you know, Pete Thamel and I are very, very close. Yeah. You know, I was, it's funny. I was with Thamel the night before the Celtics game or two nights before, something like that. It was like two nights before. Had some beers, hung out. You know, it's funny because everyone's like, why do you tell me? And I'm like, well, that's the point of the article. <laughs> you know, I, no, I didn't tell anybody. And that was, that was a problem. Um, you know, but yeah, the network of Syracuse is unbelievable. I mean, I'm all about networking. My book is called Network. <laughs> Um, you know, so th- thankfully I was relentless at it, but at the same time, you know, those guys, the coaches and players and whoever it was people that I've met at Syracuse still help me to this day, you know, and, yeah. and I help them as much as I can as well. You know, I mean, we talk about it and, and you know, obviously I'm, I am an alum. I work in the office of alumni engagement. It kind of sounds like I'm, I'm, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid, the orange Kool-Aid, but, but look, it's a real thing. The, yeah. the, the Orange family, the, the network, the alumni network is, is a powerful thing. And I, I think what's really interesting, though, is, is how you've seen it kind of on a lot of different levels, particularly recently, right? I mean, it's, yeah, it's great to have a network and to, to know that you can pick somebody up, pick up the phone and call somebody if you, you know, are looking for a job or looking for a recommendation, that kind of thing. But the response that you got to the article that you wrote kind of goes beyond that. It's not just a professional network it's it's a the personal network too but you know people that you know care about you and and people that you've been close with and you know a lot of these people that reach out to me Syracuse or not some were like mad at themselves you know they didn't see it things like that and I'm the first one to tell them like I didn't show it you know no one no one saw no one saw close people my life didn't see it my mother didn't see it you know so it's it's all right you know, that, 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 that was the facade I put on, but you know, it was really cool to have the guys reach out. Even, even some of the guys that I kept in touch with, you know, things like that, but reach out to me and now we're talking more. So, you know, across the border was, uh, yeah, the Syracuse family definitely came through and, uh, you know, that group text with the team was pretty cool. How, how do you see your life changing now? I mean, it's, it's not even been a month since this article came out, but, 
do you see this moving you in 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 any direction that you didn't maybe expect? Yeah, I mean, I knew there'd be the people that want to talk about it more, things like that. But yeah, I mean, I'm already getting asking be asked to, to do, do more stuff in person and, and talk about it. And I didn't see it happen this fast, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the more ways I think I do talk about it, the more people it hits. If it's going to help even one person, then that's fine. That's great. Um, but yeah, it's getting to a national level now where people are calling me to to come talk to this school or just 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 maybe just young kids in general. Um, you know, and, and, and I'm going to start doing that. As, as, as long as it's going to help people, I'm not going to be ashamed to, to go out there and keep talking about it. That was the point. If I can help more people like I've already helped on this platform, so, you know, so be it. Um, you know, especially I think the young kids, um, you know, I have, I have three kids. I have an eight-year-old and six-year-old twins. And, you know, especially my girls uh, going into high school, you know, it's, this, this is a screwed up world right now. And with the bullying and, and do I have enough followers and enough likes? And it's scary. And you look at the, the percentages of high school girls uh, at least thinking about suicide and or including trying it or being successful at it, it's like 10 times worse than it was 15 years ago. And oh, just wow. even, even girls that think about it, that's scary as hell is, is a major, it's over 50%. Um, you know, so that's what really affects me personally. You know, having, having three kids, especially two girls, you know, going into this world with that kind of, that pressure of looking good, feeling good, and, you know, you have a boyfriend, or I look good enough, you know, wherever it is, it's scary, because you get, fortunately, you get judged, based on, you know, and, uh, so that's a bit, another big reason, I, like I said in the article, that I did it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, we use the word facade a bunch, and, and it's one thing for, for a Kevin Love to have a facade that he's got to try to maintain, and for someone like you, who's hanging out with the NBA stars and traveling the world and all that kind of thing to have a facade or, you know, the alpha male, but, but social media essentially creates a situation where everyone, no matter who they are, has a facade that they feel like they have to keep up. Yeah, no one's posting a picture of them having a bad day. You know, no one's posting a picture of what their brain feels like or what their mental health feels like. It's always, if you go on social media right now, you go on Instagram, it looks like the world is perfect. Everyone's having a great time, you know? Hashtag best life. Yeah, all that stuff. But listen, I get it. In some social media stuff, you got to do stuff with business and things like that. But yeah, but it's true. It's just, it, it, it really scares me that, that high school group of, you know, you hear it all the time. You hear of kids just, just at least attempting to kill themselves. And it's like, whoa, 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 15 years old. You shouldn't be thinking, you know, what's going on here. But a lot of it's, it's social media stuff. It's the bullying, you know? And, and you see it a lot, especially in high school girls. And, and not feeling like it's it's something that anybody can talk about publicly. Yeah. 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 So hopefully, you know, that, that's another goal of mine to really just to talk to talk to kids about, not just, you know, adults. I think it's across the board. I think it starts, you know, when you're, you can start when you're 12 years old, it can start when you're 60. You know, it, it happens. It happens to a lot of people. Uh, like we said, especially in this world we're living in right now. And And your big advice is, if that's you, find someone to talk about it with. Is that find, just find someone that's either close to or or not? You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a therapist right away. Just if you just just talk to somebody that 
that that knows you and that you can can open open up to. My my first was Kevin Love, and I did it. I know Kevin. I went through it. Um, so if you know anybody that has gone through it, obviously someone like that has experience, uh, lack of a better word. Um, yeah, go to them. But in essence, go to somebody. Because once I actually even went to Kevin and then my sister, you know, months ago, um, it, that even that helped a little, you know. But then when I really so again, therapy and stuff like that, and, and, you, and, and you see people in and out of there that are very successful, in my case, you know, grown men. It's like, whoa, really? This guy's a doctor. This guy's a lawyer. This guy's three beautiful kids. He's great, you know, great wife, great, whatever it is, great, great life. And it's like, oh, okay. okay. So not just, you know, I think that's the main thing. Anybody going through something right now, it's just, get, you got to get off your chest somehow. You know, somehow they talk to somebody, talking, call me, DM me, you know, whatever it does, it, wherever it is. And I realized that that's what it is. This a lot of people are scared to talk to someone they they know, the close. And that was my thing. If I, I remember, if I did tell anybody, it was people that, I, that maybe I don't know that well or whatever, um, just to get it off my chest, but also to keep it far away enough. Does that make sense? So I understand people at this article, people I don't know. DMing me and, and, and emailing me because you know they could they could hide behind text and the words, but at the same time get it up their chest. And and they're emailing me before they're telling their husband or wife or girlfriend or kids. You know, so there's no doubt in my mind I've I've helped people with this. Um some of it's really, really sad stories. Some of it is uplifting that they're gonna get help now. But um I think the platform I had in in, in me just being a normal guy um, with a with a crazy job, if it can happen to me, you know, it can happen to really anybody. So I've, re- I've definitely realized that. Now that he's opened up and talked about it, Rob wants to keep talking about it. And as you heard from him very clearly, he wants to encourage anyone struggling with depression, anxiety, and thoughts of self-harm or suicide to talk about it too. As he says, talk to a friend, talk to a stranger, talk to anyone. And remember, help is available 24-7 for free by calling the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. My thanks to Rob McClanahan for sharing his story. And thanks to you for listening. I'm Chris Bellardi. Stay well and go orange.